Yo, tell me you didn't lose your recording. I didn't. Still going. Okay. <laughs> it's plugged up, so I, I wouldn't think that if it's getting a continuous source of power that I would even have this problem if the battery was completely dead, would you? I don't know, but you should ask the guys in the Slack chat. They'll help you. Fuck those guys. <laughs> I'm <gonna> ask them <laughs> shit. <laughs> oh, boy. Hello and welcome to the RF Generation Playcast. The Playcast is the place where Single Banana and I, Gregost81, discuss the monthly community playthrough games selected by us and played by a community of gamers on RF Generation and social media platforms like Twitter. Every episode features input from the community and maybe some guests. What follows is our long-awaited 50th episode extravaganza. We've got plenty of surprises in store in this look back on the legacy of the community playthrough, as well as our in-depth conversation of Rhapsody, a musical adventure. We'll take a deep dive into this cute, heartwarming, and hilarious RPG, and all spoilers will be discussed freely. You can listen to the show on Podbean and iTunes, where we always appreciate a good review. On Twitter, we're at RFG Playcast, Rich is The Single Banana, and I am Mr. Sean Gray. Most importantly, be sure to log on to RFGeneration.com to discuss the games with us and have a chance to get mentioned on the show. Thanks again for listening, and now, on with the Playcast. Fifty episodes. What is going on here? I don't know, man. It's crazy. It's flown by too. I mean, it's 
I can't remember how many years it's been, but it's been several, at least four, maybe close to five years. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a very long time to me. This is just really a, a good way to kind of blow off steam. And even though we made it to 50, and it, I know it's been quite a while that we've been doing it, it doesn't feel like that. I mean, every month I kind of look forward to just sitting down and chatting with you. And for our listeners, we have not met each other in person nope. as of yet. We're just internet friends, but uh, we've managed to kind of form this bond over the years. And uh, I really appreciate it because, you know, whether it's a game that we're both really into or a game that one of us hated or whatever, whatever the conversation is, it's just really nice to sit down and chat and just relax. And I like talking and I like hearing the sound of my own voice. So, (laughs) so. (laughs) yeah, I'm still kind of getting used to that even after 50 episodes, not the sound of your voice sound of my voice. I I never thought I could ever get used to that, but it's grown on me. It's still kind of growing on me. So, uh, yeah. And my wife just got back from Austin, Texas on a business trip, and uh, she was there for, I think, three nights. And this is like an annual thing. So she's like, well, next year you should definitely take some time off work and go with me. And uh, hopefully, you know, I'll get to visit you and we can hang out some. Yeah, that would be awesome. We can go game hunting together. Yeah, and maybe even do a live episode. Uh, That would be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I was kind of reminiscing today. I went back and listened to our E3 side episode from 2016. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Not advisable. Uh, (laughs) Oh, come on. It's great, man. It's it's four hours, right? Yeah, it's it's four hours long and... Uh, I was pretty intoxicated. Uh, we were both pretty intoxicated. We started drinking from the beginning, and it just gets progressively worse, which is kind of great. It's a beautiful train wreck. And honestly, there's like still games that we talked about that haven't even come out yet. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's funny because some of the games we talked about then are involved in E3 this year and are yep. still not released. Um, and the funny thing, too, is just hearing us talk about games that not only the games that still haven't been released, but the games that have come and gone and we've played as playthroughs like The Last Guardian. Yeah. Uh, we were kind of at odds with each other in the show about our anticipation and the, the mixed yeah. uh, opinions about the long development time. And the VR thing, too, was kind of funny because we were all talking about VR and I was talking about how bad I wanted it and I was going to pay whatever price. I didn't care about the price. I was just going to buy it. I don't care if it's $2,000, I said. Now, a few years later, I never got VR and Steven got one and he wasn't even on that episode of the show. He didn't sound too enthused about it, but he was the one who ended up getting one and now he's gotten rid of it. So it's kind of funny how things just develop and, you know, the choices we make and the things we say versus the things we end up doing sometimes. It's pretty funny. Yeah. Nice little time capsule, you know? Yeah, definitely. Another one, too, another time capsule that's kind of funny. I I haven't gone back, but the Pokemon Go episode that we did, Uh, again, on that E3 show, it was before Pokemon Go had been released, so we were kind of speculating about what it was going to be, and that's kind of funny to think that that game came out, and it was just a worldwide phenomenon, and you and I liked it so much that we decided to do a two-hour episode about Mm -hmm. it, and... uh, Man, I I miss playing that game a lot, but uh, 
you know, I think that was just a, a special time, like one of those lightning in a bottle kind of periods in my life that I'll, I'll never forget, but it can't be replicated. You know, that app like kind of screwed up my phone that I had at the time. So I've, I've <laughs> never, I never put it back on, on my phone. And my wife just recently deleted it off her phone because she wanted like some room for some other game she wanted to play. So I'm pretty sure my wife still has it on her phone. Because yeah. my son wants to play it every now and again. And I'm hoping, I guess you've probably heard the news that they're talking about a new Pokemon game coming out that is like a Pokemon Go game where you can take your Switch and do it on the go. And they have like Pokeballs and stuff like you can actually throw yeah, to try to catch them with. So um, I'm hoping that this finally entices my son to at least ask for a Switch. Right. So that, so that my grand plan, you know, will go into effect. So, uh but yeah, I mean, it's funny, you know, from that time thinking about now, like kind of where that's gone and how that's developed and how excited and, and not excited we were. But then I got excited about it. It's really strange. Yeah, I do still see people playing it. I was actually at a, I was at an event last week where I was up in a kind of higher seating and I could see down onto the floor seats and I said, Hey, look, that guy down there is playing Pokemon Go right now. <laughs> I actually saw an older gentleman playing Pokemon That's Go. That's crazy. kind of cool. What's most impressive is him being able to dodge the beer bottles being thrown at him while right. playing it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man, um, I've kind of been digging through the archives as well and uh, listening to some of our older episodes. And I remember kind of early on when we were around like episode 10 and then we got up to 20 and, and you know, things start, start changing, you know, with the episodes and we get a little bit better at our craft. The editing gets better. And I, and I remember looking back on those episodes and being like, Oh man, these aren't the greatest things to listen to, you know, and then being very critical of them. But we keep sort of like a Google doc and I was putting notes in this Google doc and I actually finished it off talking about who our guests were, like what the discussion was a little bit. Uh, if there were any special things like it was like, I think you and I hosted our first episode together that October when uh, I did Castlevania two. And I can't remember the game that you did. I think you talked about that with me. I think that was our first one together and it might've been fragile dreams that we did that October as our modern game. I think that first time. Yeah, that sounds right. That was my first. Yeah, yeah. My okay. first hosting game was Fragile Dreams. Yeah. Well, that that was it, and I had that in there. I was like, oh, it's pretty cool. Sean and I hosted our first episode at the same time, you know. So that was that was um, you know a really neat thing. So my point is, <laughs> a roundabout way here, going back and listening to those old episodes now, I have like a better appreciation for them, and and they're really not bad. They're really good episodes, and you know we go really deep into the gameplay and stuff like that. I would say our, our more modern episodes kind of start off in a little bit more relaxed and, you know, kind of fun way where we talk about stuff that's going on in the news or, you know, stuff that's happening to us. So it's more fun and more relaxing now. And I think, you know, we were probably really nervous starting out. I know I was. How about you? Yeah, I was pretty nervous. I had done a podcast with my late friend Jesse, but we mm -hmm. only did four episodes and I cherish them. But, you know, they're more of a time capsule of a departed friend than they are like, wow, look at this podcast I did. I'm so proud of it. You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, I had a tiny little bit of experience, but not that much. And then being in involved with so many people on the site, kind of all of a sudden, because I was just... 
I was just really just hanging out on the forums, posting in small scores and just kind of chit chatting about games. And then one of you guys, it was probably you who approached Mm -hmm. me and said, Hey, we need another host. You want to, you want to come aboard? So I was like, yeah, let's do it. I got my guitar hero microphone. I'm ready to go. (laughs) I got my guitar, which I think, did you play guitar in the E3 episode too? (laughs) Oh my God. I was getting pissed at myself listening to that. Like... You oh, man, idiot. So great. Put that guitar away. <laughs> it's slowly becoming my favorite episode now as we talk about it more. <laughs> uh, so what had happened is Krabby started out, played a few games, you know, hey, you might want to play with me on the forums. And then Bill kind of took over for like a month or two. And then Floyd ended up taking it over. And I started talking to Floyd. And we were like, hey, what do you think about doing maybe like a retro one and doing a modern one? And he was like, yeah, that'd be cool. I'm like, man, that sounds like a lot of damn work. How about we bring on two extra people? And uh, we brought on you, of course, and Jamie. And yeah. I decided to do the retro side, Floyd, the modern. And which did you start off on? Did you do, you start off on the modern? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, you did Fragile Dreams. Right. And then I think Jamie joined me. And so... We were all four playing both games each month, and uh, wow, boy, that was a lot of work <laughs> trying to yeah, get those in. It's funny to look back, even on even with the extra people, the workload is is so different. Mm-hmm. You know that I'm so glad we don't do that anymore. <laughs> I, I really, I sometimes find it hard enough to finish one game in the month. You know, especially if you're busy at work or you got personal stuff going on, it, uh, it can be a challenge. You know. Yeah, and with three kids now, there's no way I could do two playthroughs. So my family has increased in size. Uh, So, um, yeah, I don't know how we did it, you know, distributing the workload. And I think we ran Steven off with all of our Pokemon Go talk because we wouldn't shut up about it. So uh. (laughs) That's true. In addition... In, in addition to doing that two and a half hour episode, we had a Pokemon Go segment of our podcast for a while because we had to ju- we just had to talk about it every month. I do remember that now too. Yeah. Hey, Playcast crew and listeners, Jamie aka Tech Wizard here. I can't believe this is episode fifty already. Feels like only yesterday that I was co-hosting when really that was over three years ago, I believe. I'm really happy that the playthroughs of the Playcast are still going strong. Time flies, so congratulations, and here's to the next 50 episodes. We've had seven hosts in total, including you and I, and I just want to um, recognize those guys. Um, of course, Crabmaster started things off. If it wasn't for him just getting on our forums at Arf Generation saying, hey, I'm playing Last Story, does anybody want to play with me? And then coming back several months later, and uh, I think it was a Batman game the second time yeah. around. Hey, I'm playing, um, what was it, Arkham Asylum or something like that? Does anybody want to play with me? And then, you know, Bill kind of taking the reins with, uh, I believe it was Super Mario RPG and then a few of the Disney games. And then, you know, Floyd and I and you and Jamie took over and uh, went for a while. Jamie dropped out because he had some life commitments and things that he wanted to take care of. And then um, Steven joined us for a while. And then Steven dropped out, and then eventually Floyd dropped out as well, and then it just became you and I. And I think at that point, we were just kind of like, let's just tag team this thing, let's you and I do it together, let's not look for any other hosts. You and I were kind of becoming good friends and uh, had a lot in common as far as, like you said, musically, and uh, I think we have a lot in common as far as the games we like to play, except uh, maybe those third-person shooters you're a little more into than I am, but uh, but I think you and I... 
<laughs> but I think you and I like to play like these oddball games. You know, we like to try new things and, and something that's different. I know that for a lot of people that join us and play our games, a lot of people probably prefer that we play the big titles and the things that everybody's playing or everybody loves, like Zelda and Mario games, and we do get those in, but I've really enjoyed the part of the podcast where we get to play these like really strange games, you know, like Fragile Dreams. Love that game so much, and just experiencing those types of games. And and I think that's what's cool about you and I doing this together, is that we can both appreciate those things and give a game a chance that maybe a lot of people haven't heard of. Yeah, I agree completely. I've always been kind of trying to find games that are off the beaten path. I don't mind AAA games. I play them quite frequently and I like them a lot, but that's the thing. Most people will play those on their own. And as community playthrough hosts, I think we have like kind of a special privilege combined with a responsibility, which is to kind of bring games out of the darkness and put them in the forefront for people who've maybe never heard of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a really cool part of what we do. Yeah, I I totally agree. If you don't like it, start your own damn show. (laughs) (laughs) No, just keep joining us. It's it's wonderful, and uh, I hope we can continue on with this. I don't know you know the exact time but like what we're on episode 50 so we can we can figure this out we can do math right okay. so uh 48 is 12 times 4 so we've been doing this just a little over 4 years probably close to 5 if we think about the shows that we had started before i would say like this september october will actually be our 5 years that's crazy man yeah um I didn't imagine it was going to last this long. How about you? I mean, how many like episodes or how long did you think this whole thing was going to last? Wow. I, I mean, I really wasn't sure and I wasn't, yeah. I don't think I was even thinking about it, but I, it seemed like at the time, like, wow, this is a fun, cool thing that they're asking me to join in on. Like, I remember being really hyped up to host Fragile Dreams and I... I've mentioned this on the show before. I took it like extremely seriously that first month, you know, like trying to host a good playthrough and like prove I was worthy of it for you guys, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, but I mean, at the time I didn't know, like, is is this going to go for a year and we'll get bored of it or a year and a half, two years and we find something better or somebody else, nobody shows up to play or nobody wants to podcast or whatever. It's weird to see this kind of longevity in something that we don't get paid for. And, you know, the reward is kind of knowing that I can just talk to you every month for a couple hours and, you know, blow off some steam and bullshit about games and life and everything. And that there are people out there who are willing to listen to us do that. It's amazingly gratifying and, I can't thank the people enough who tune in every month, you know? Absolutely, yeah. I agree. Thanks to all our listeners for listening to the show, for sticking with us. And uh, if you're new to the podcast, check out some of our old episodes as well. If you're listening to this one, uh, I think you'll enjoy them quite a bit, especially if you've played the games before. You know, remember, we do spoil things, so uh, there might be a few. You might want to play the game uh, before you actually listen to them. But uh, speaking of, man, I wanted to uh, give a quick shout out to uh, all our past guests that we've had on the show. And uh, I'm not going to go through like what games they played with us because that would take a while. But uh, if you had to guess, how many guests would you say that we've had on the show over the years? Just like number wise. Oh, man, this is 
Now, see, <laughs> now our listeners don't know. Now, I got to explain. Our listeners don't know that you're kind of low key <laughs> putting me on the spot right now because you asked me to help you with this and I didn't. So, no, no, I'm not doing that at all. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I do have texts, though, where you text me at least twice that was like, we really got to come up with a list of guests that we had. And I was just like, yeah, okay. Oh, <laughs> and, I, I just meant I'm going to do it. That's what I meant. Okay, I thought you were telling me to like help you, and no, I totally did no, not no, help no. you with this. So, um, no, I uh, yeah, okay. You, you didn't help, so screw you. This is actually our fiftieth uh, episode and last show. Oh, so. oh shit. <laughs> all right. So, <laughs> so we've done fifty episodes, and a lot of the episodes in the past were two games, yeah. and we had a lot of guests back then. We don't have quite as many nowadays, but I'm gonna say. We've had 30 guests. That's a pretty good guess, man. Yeah. A little bit lower. Uh, 22, actually. So okay. I, I was actually surprised with that number. But uh, we've had some guests that have been on the show multiple times. Yes. We had one guest who's been on the show four times, actually. Do you know who that is? Ah. <laughs> uh, There's a few that have done it three times. I'm looking at the list right now. I'm kind of cheating. You're definitely no, cheating because I put the number beside their name. Oh, I didn't even see that. <laughs> Uh, is it Duke Togo? It is, yeah. Okay, Duke. yeah. Yeah, Duke's been on four shows, and I believe probably every one of those shows, besides uh, Shining Force 2, were all Nintendo games. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> for sure. He's our kind of resident Nintendo guy. We usually bring him on the show for those. But other than Duke, we've had BSR 241 on the show. That was during the Activision Challenge, where he bested me. Uh, Raidu, Wild Bill 52, Sir Psycho has been on twice. Russ Lyman has been on twice. Retro Rage, Bomba Tomba. Disposed Hero was actually a guest on here before he joined the podcast. And he was a guest on three shows. I think two before he joined and then one after he left, he joined us again. Engineer Mike was on a show. Metal Fro has been on two shows. Fokaki79. Cameron Johnson, which is my buddy, the guy that does our music for the show. He's in the band Atma Weapon we've talked about before. They do our intro and outro music, so I want to give a special shout-out to them for that. It's very cool, and uh, it's nice to have some good music to start and end the show with. Uh, New Poil. Pam has been on the show three times. Buried on Mars has been on twice. J-Rock the Game Rocker, Dougley007 twice. He always does our year-end episodes. I'm sure he'll probably join us again this year. Addicted has been on twice. And then P1 and P2 from the Cartridge Club. We did an episode in combination with them, along with Jake from the Polykill podcast. So those are our past guests. And uh, just want to send a special thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for uh, you know making our show great and being an awesome guest. Yeah, that's that's amazing, and it's really awesome to hear those names because those are a lot of people that I really look up to, and I, I really am a big yeah. fan of all their content. You know, I've said it a million times. Our friend Chris, Duke Togo, I found out about the RF Generation website because of the Collector Cast. When I discovered the Collector Cast, they were like five episodes in, and I remember just binging those five episodes and... I was a really big fan, to be quite honest, and that's the way I feel about a lot of people on that list we just mentioned, like Pam and Kevin and mm -hmm. J-Rock and all those people and the Cartridge Club and, of course, all the members on the forum. It's just pretty awesome that we've been able to connect with these people and kind of spread the love and that they're yeah. willing to give their time, so... 
again, I'm, I'm very thankful for that. We don't that. kiss it's Duke's awesome. ass too much. Um, he did send me a roast, and so he does kind of bash us a little bit. So uh, hold your opinions. <laughs> <laughs> What's that thing about glass houses? I, <laughs> I mean, the guy does love Dark remember. Souls, so you know, he can't help it. <laughs> well, congratulations, guys. You've made it to 50 episodes of the concert cast, which is pretty impressive if I oh oh wait a minute there there's some game stuff that's on this show too oh my fault but <laughs> anyway um Rich and Sean you guys have done a great job uh on the show I enjoy it even though I can't be in each one of these and I'm sure everybody really appreciates everything you do and uh you know maybe some people appreciate the music talk too but anyway uh take care guys and here's the next 50 episodes <laughs> Yeah, so I wanted to mention this podcast I've been listening to recently. Um, as you know, my wife and I were doing a horror podcast called She Hate Horror. That's kind of fallen to the wayside. We haven't done an episode in over probably a year and a half now. And it's just because of time commitments and jobs and three kids and things like that. But I've been listening to this horror podcast, this girl and this guy, they're friends. It's called Werewolf Ambulance. I don't know if you've ever listened to that one before, Sean. I, I don't know. You're not really a big horror guy, right? Oh, I love horror movies, oh, really? but okay. I don't listen to podcasts about horror movies except yours. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm interested. What What is it like? Well, it's sort of the same principle as ours. I just found it probably almost a month ago, but they do like one movie each podcast and they go through and they break the full film down. So there is spoilers in it, but they just have a really, really great chemistry and are just really funny. They live up around Pittsburgh, which as many of you horror fans know, that's where, uh, you know, George Romero and a bunch of his colleagues and other filmmakers are from. And so they're sort of in a hotbed of horror and it's really good, man. It's a really funny show. They have a, a wonderful chemistry and uh, super, super funny. So if you get a chance, man, check out Werewolf Ambulance. Good show. Cool. And uh, speaking of shows, we got to talk about a little music. I went to see David Byrne. Talking Heads is one of my favorite bands of all time. I didn't know how I would take this show because I haven't listened to a lot of David Byrne's solo stuff. Mm. Listen to a little. So, you know, I was hoping... Okay, I wonder how many Talking Head songs he's going to play. And he only played three. But I will tell you that my wife and I enjoyed ourselves so much at the show. He is such a performer, such a nice guy. Stage presence, the theatrics and everything were simply amazing. And even the songs I had never heard before, I really, really enjoyed. It was a great vibe. It was a really good time. Good crowd. No complaints this time around. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Although I, I will say that the I will say that like some people like to stand up the whole show and I can't get mad about that. You know, people are there to have a good time and I get it. But we were kind of on the upper tier balcony, so I thought, you know, we could have maybe avoid that, but a guy stood up so and of course we had to stand up and one of the people behind me kind of made a comment and I had to turn around and give the guy a dirty look. But, you know, other than that <laughs> You know, I mean, I came to see the show, so I'm going to stand up, right? Yeah. But yeah, man, fantastic show. If you get a chance to see him, you should definitely do that before he stops touring. I think you would really enjoy it. Cool. I'll keep that in mind. I'll keep an eye out for him. 
So speaking of music, I have a couple of musical topics, actually. But the first one was that uh, social media kind of chain that was going around. Yeah. And uh, you did it. And it's basically share 10 albums, one each day that had an impact on you with no commentary and tag someone else each day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you did this and you tagged me and on one of the days and I was... I was following what you were posting, and it was cool commenting on on a couple things. And once again, we have a lot in common musically and some things that we don't connect on, which is really neat. But it's funny because I I had such a hard time with the concept. I wanted to play along and to do it, but so there's a lot of things going on here. Like what the concept of an album that has impact on me means something And it probably meant something to you as you were posting these albums, because what I started doing was like, oh, okay, I'll just post what I think are the best albums of all time. Like, I didn't conceptualize it that way, but I realized that that's what I was doing. And I was like, wait, these are not necessarily albums that had an impact on me. Like, Mm -hmm. I think Madonna's Like a Virgin is one of the best albums of all time, but that album didn't have any kind of special impact on me. I just think it's like a perfect album. So (laughs) then I realized, well, if I just post the albums that had a quote unquote impact on me, it would be the same that any white male (laughs) raised in the United States that is my age would post. So here's what I post Nirvana in utero, Smashing Pumpkin Siamese Dream. I don't know. Like you said one time, whole live through this, you know, Uh, like, I don't know, probably beck mellow gold or something like all those just alternative albums from the 90s and uh i just thought like i can't do that that's just cheesy like (laughs) yeah i I mean put me off i think the thing that's off-putting about this impact albums list is it says don't comment about that's the other thing it's like and what i did it's funny like i got through about five and i didn't put a comment i just responded to other people's comments about them and i was just like this like i just started like talking about and even going back and posting now i didn't do this on twitter and instagram but i was posting this list on facebook as well because that's where i got tagged by a cousin of mine and i went back and actually put comments hey this is the reason and for me these albums did have like an impact and i don't mean like musically like changed how i thought about music or anything like that but i tried to like pick an album that reminded me of like the person i was picking I can't remember, like, did I pick you or my wife for The Descendants? I can't remember. But that Sommery album, like, that was one of the first shows my wife and I went to. She introduced me to that album. And I feel like that is, like, music that we had a significant bond over. Um, The uh, Lemonheads album, It's a Shame About Ray, I used to ride to basketball games with a friend of mine. And uh, he was like, Hey man, you're listening to this album, Lemonheads? And I was like, nah, you know, I haven't. I was listening to a lot of, you know, like 90s alternative at the time or grunge, I guess it was, you know. Right. And uh, he popped that album in and I was like, holy crap, this whole thing is incredible. I really, really dig this. Yep. I think I mentioned with that in my post that my wife and I had just started dating and we went to the beach and I had a friend that was working at the radio station at the beach. We went up to visit him in his booth. He's like, hey man, I got two tickets to a Lemonhead show tonight. Would you and your wife like to go while I'm working? And I was like, uh, yeah. So we got to see them that <laughs> night and it's incredible, you know? So yeah, I mean, those are the kind of impacts that certain albums had on me and, and some of them changed my worldviews. 
or maybe made me just become closer to a certain group of friends, you know? Right. So, yeah, I mean, that's how I went with impact. I kind of feel like you have to be able to explain what the impact was to say an album impacted you. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) That's that's kind of why I was having like a problem with it to kind of configure how I wanted to post uh, what I was thinking of. But you did post a Dinosaur Jr. album. Yep. And uh, which album is it? Where You Been. Where You Been. Mm hmm. So here's here's the thing. I want to discuss this with you. Um, <laughs> so Dinosaur Jr. is one of my favorite bands of all time. So another thing about me looking at albums that had an impact on me was that I was trying to play music at a young age, like from the time I was 12, 13, 14, a very formative years when I had a guitar and a couple drums and I was taking drum lessons at school. And all I wanted to do was learn every Nirvana song on the guitar. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yep. Power chords. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and to be frank, that's still all I know on the guitar. Um, but <laughs> but when Dinosaur Jr. came along, that was like the template for the songs that I wrote for a long time. And there's still elements of that in any of my songwriting. Like I just wanted to basically rip off Dinosaur Jr. and Jay Maskus's <laughs> songwriting. Yeah. But now here's my problem with Where You Been. One of my favorite albums is actually Green Mind, which came a little bit before that. And I feel mm-hmm. that between Green Mind and Where You Been, Jay just started singing in this kind of lazy mumbly way where he almost wasn't even singing where green mind was kind of the last album that was just like sung as good of a singer as he is which is not that great but he's at least carrying a tune and singing quote unquote so i'm not trying to bash your choice or anything like i still think i still think where you've been is a good album but i think it was kind of the beginning of him singing in that kind of mumbly, low, low energy kind of way. And then actually the next album, Without a Sound, which had their biggest hit on it, Feel the Pain. Feel, Feel the, the Pain. Pain is that's one of my least favorite dinosaur songs, actually. Good video, though, hitting yeah, golf the balls golfing. off the top of it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I wonder, did you ever notice that there was a, a change as they went along with Jay's vocal delivery? I'm going to be honest with you, man. I mentioned in my comments on Facebook about like how I came across this album. I used to subscribe to Details Magazine. I don't know if you remember that one, but it was kind of like a oh, little yeah. kind of hip magazine, you know, kind of Seattle scene magazine around the time. And um, they would have album reviews in there. And I remember reading a favorable review of Where You Been. And I had gone to Walmart with, uh, you know, a bunch of cash uh, in my allowance. And I had gone there to purchase a cassette, um, Pearl Jam's 10. Oh, that's another one. That's another hugely impact album for yeah, a lot yeah. of people. I'm a bigger fan of Versus, but I love 10. Um, yeah. But I got that album, and then I also bought, um, the same day, Toad the Wet Sprocket's Fear. And then I saw that Dinosaur Jr. album, and I was like, well, I kind of read a sort of favorable review. This uh, cover looks like it kicks ass, so uh, you know, I got some extra money let me just uh get that too and check it out and out of the three that album got more mileage than even 10 that's cool i love it and what i'm kind of getting to is other than feel the pain i've never really listened to any of dinosaur jr's old stuff 
Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, it's something that I need to check out, and uh, I, I would love to do that. I don't know, man. It's one of those things where, like, it's one of those albums that, like, I could listen to all the way through, so I never sawed anything out. And maybe that's me just being like, I don't want to be disappointed listening to another album and not liking them as much anymore. It's kind of an opposite effect where most people would go out and buy up everything by that person. Right. So you never even heard like their way back stuff, like no. you're you're living all over me. So, I mean, it's up to you if you want to go back. But I mean, you're living all over me is regarded as a classic indie rock album of all time. And I agree that it is. There are some amazing songs on that, and I think it would kind of blow you away how different it is from how the band progressed. I don't know if you know, but like the original lineup was Jay, Mascus, Lou Barlow, and Murph, the drummer. Yep. But eventually, there was a huge beef, one of the classic beefs of indie rock between Jay and and Lou Barlow, and Lou went and did Sebado and everything. So as Dinosaur progressed, it eventually just became Jay Mascus doing everything on the albums. So the sound of the band just really progresses in a certain way as the albums come out. And then, of course... They've been back together in their original lineup for like the past eight years or something, releasing albums that sound like their old albums, and they're pretty decent. So, yeah, Dinosaur, they're legit one of my favorite bands of all time. I could talk about them all night. I saw Jay Mascus a really long time ago. He played with Mike Watt playing bass for him, which was pretty awesome. And then uh, he played mostly Dinosaur songs, a couple of songs off his solo album, and then... um, I forget the guy's name, but it was a guitarist from the Stooges who actually isn't even alive anymore, came out and played some songs with them. So that was a pretty cool concert to be at. And then I was able to see them when they reformed in their original lineup. So I will say that one album I have listened to, and if you haven't checked it out, you definitely need to. Lou Barlow did some individual stuff too. There's an album called Emo which yeah. is basically home spelled backwards. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's incredible. It's a fantastic album. Uh, one of my friends put me onto it. And uh, yeah, definitely, if you if you haven't checked it out, check it out for listeners haven't uh, and are into Dinosaur Jr. Be sure to check that one out. It's a good one. Yeah, absolutely. And all the folk implosion stuff is really good. And yeah. (laughs) So anyway, like I said, we could talk about this all night, but I I just wanted to talk about one other kind of musical rabbit hole I've fallen into. So you're ready for me to make the listeners cringe, Rich? Sure. Have you ever listened to Vaporwave? I have not. Okay. (laughs) Some of our listeners just threw their phones out of the car window, as I said that. Um, (laughs) So you've probably heard it and just not realized that there was a name for it. It's just basically these DJs or kids on their computers take like 80s songs and Mm -hmm. slow them down and then put sound effects over them. It's just this really breezy, like almost kitschy 80s nostalgia pot smoking chill out kind of music you know what i mean yeah but it has this like hypnotic kind of feeling to it and the reason i even bring that up besides that it's like hipster trash now and everybody hates it and it's all played out i kind of like it but there was a kind of a spin-off of vaporwave called future funk which is another genre of music but it's actually something that everybody's heard before, which is disco. But what it reminds me of most is 
one of my other favorite albums of all time that I also think is a perfect album, which is Daft Punk's Discovery. Yep. Um, so if you know that album and you know that it has that kind of disco feel to it, dancey, you know, one more time, like those kind of songs. So Future Funk is basically that, but they just take Japanese disco songs from the mm-hmm. from the 80s and remix them and like kind of amp up the sound on them. And it sounds like a freaking party. And lately, <laughs> that's like been all I've been listening to. Um, cool. I don't know if anybody cares or wants to check this kind of music out, but just go to YouTube and type in Future Funk or City Pop Radio into YouTube and you'll get a a million videos and a million live stream channels or uh, go to Bandcamp and look up the artist Night Tempo has a bunch of free albums that you can download that are really good. Anyway, that's that's my like out of left field musical recommendation for the month. All right. You'll have to check that out and follow up on that. Very cool. I've got an out in left field recommendation too, so I'm going to throw that out there. Awesome. Do it. I was listening to a Tiny Desk show on NPR, and I can't even remember who the band was, and I was at work, and it just kind of floated into the next YouTube track, and this music came on, and it was, gosh... What is that popular like magazine? It's not paste. It's um, uh. Tiger Beat. <laughs> <laughs> no, that does like the music reviews and stuff. Oh, I can't. Pitchfork. Yes, Pitchfork. Okay. It was a Pitchfork video, uh, a live video at the Villain, uh, which I'm not sure exactly where that is, but this is actually a Texas band. They're from the uh, Houston area, but they're kind of self-described uh, crate diggers. And so what they do is they go into vinyl shops and they dig through them and they find just odd, like kind of world music. And Texas is really famous for the psychedelic sound. And that's kind of where a lot of that sound generated. If you've ever listened to um, some of the newer bands like Black Angels, they have that sort of psychedelic Texas sound. Um, but this band kind of combines that with Taiwan, Lower Asia funk. The name of the band, and I'm going to have to spell this out so our listeners can find it, but it's Krungbin. It's K-H-R-U-A-N-G-B-I-N. It's a three-piece band, a drummer, guitar player, and bassist, but man, I've just been hooked. It's basically non-vocal, so it's just all musical, but uh, it is just some really, really sweet, just like chill-out music. Really, really beautiful and highly recommend it. I've picked up both of their albums and uh, actually trying to find some of it on vinyl, which has been uh, a task right now because it's kind of a hot band. Uh, have you heard of this band? No, I have not, but it sounds intriguing. It sounds not too far off from what I was just talking about, so I yeah. have to look it up. Yeah, and that's what kind of reminded me of it when I looked on the outline I saw Future Funk. I was like, well, I've been listening to some kind of funky stuff, you know, and it's that uh, Asian martial arts, like, Bangkok-style music, too, man. It's it's really, really cool. So, uh, nice. Yeah, definitely check it out.
right, one thing I definitely want to talk about before we get into news is the December competition. What? We're already talking about December? Yeah, I know. It's coming up soon, and there's this idea that I've always had for December. I typically run our December show, and if you're familiar with the podcast, if you're familiar with the site, you know that we always do some sort of competition. And I've been wanting to do golf for so many years, and I thought, well, if we go ahead and start talking about it now, we can go ahead and pick out the games, see who's interested, see if we can get enough participation, and what we can do is make it a team event. So instead of an individual prize or an individual winner this year, what we're going to do is we're going to draw names around 1st of November, and we're actually going to put people on teams. We've already got several people signed up for it. it seems like it's going to be a lot of fun. You need to go to RF Generation and find our thread on it on the community playthroughs. And yeah, get signed up and uh, cast your vote for what three games we're going to be playing in our golf tournament. Now, Sean, you're kind of excited about this. I'm a little surprised, man. You know, you and I both don't play a lot of sports games, but you seem to enjoy some golf games. I do. I think golf is kind of an exception to the yeah. to the rule as far as sports games go, much in the way that when we talked about Mike Tyson's punch out, it's not you don't totally feel agree. like you're playing a sports game like golf has a lot of trappings and mechanisms that it can be made more of a video game than it is like golf, you know. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, this should be fun. I know Turf Masters is on there. This is one that you threw out immediately. And I was kind of like, I don't know if we can find, you know, enough copies of this. I know it's on some compilations and things like that. But I'll tell you, man, there's a big buzz. And uh, I think Turf Masters is going to get some high votes. So uh, a lot nice. of people excited. And uh, and yeah, so uh, be sure to log on to the site and check it out. Okay, Kev, you ready to say something nice about this RF generation? Uh, I guess, yeah. Let's do it. All right, talk about how they um, ripped off our name. Okay. Well, uh, RF, uh, RF Gen, and we're Retro Fandango, so they took our name for sure. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. They took your name, Richard. They just plopped yep. Richard on their show. They took uh, P1's name, Sean, uh, yep. from the Cartridge Club. He's on their show. Didn't they take the entire Cartridge Club? No, we were afraid that was going to happen. When we found out that they were, you know, doing a, a game of the month thing, we thought if Cartridge Club members find out about this show, then they're going to take all of our, we're going to just lose our audience. But uh, once we listened to the show, we knew we were fine, that we'd be okay. Huh. huh. Great job, guys. Yeah. Well, should we say something nice, though? Like, congratulate them on a 50th episode? Nope. 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 That's a roast. They want a real roast. Give them a roast. But don't you like kind of reel it in and say like, oh, but they're actually good. We actually like nope, them. Nope, nope, nope. You submit it. By submitting it, you are giving them what they asked for. That's the, hey, guys, we're, we're doing this. I you just, don't say nice things. I just nope. know everyone's going to be nice. Duke's going to send something. It's going to be super nice. The collector casts are going to send something. To we're going to be the only ones that roasted them. Let them do it. Let, let us have our own vibe. All right. <laughs> All right, so at the beginning of the show, we were talking about E3 a little bit from two years ago when we did our podcast, and I was just kind of curious. It's just around the corner. It's just basically a week away, and I just wanted to talk with you real quick, Sean, about are there any games that you're maybe excited for or any announcements that you're looking forward to this E3? Uh, yeah, uh, Half-Life 3, Shadow of the Colossus 2. Um <laughs> 
uh, <laughs> GoldenEye 007 Remaster. Uh, no, it's funny because you asked me to do this, and I was like, E3 hasn't happened yet, so... <laughs> You had me there for a second, man. I was like, holy crap, Shadow of the Colossus too." You really did. Uh, no, but I was listening to the official PlayStation blogcast, which I can, that's a podcast I can recommend. It's uh, pretty good. It's obviously, a, it's run by PlayStation's marketing department. So it's a little bit of a commercial for PlayStation, but for PlayStation fans, it, it's a good show. It's very high quality. So they were talking about prepping for E3, and they've released a bunch of trailers. Um, I did watch a trailer for this game called Twin Mirror, which could be something cool. It's being developed by Don't Nod, which they developed Life is Strange and and Remember Me, but they also developed this game that just came out, Vampire, which... Oh, yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, that looks really cool. So I definitely want to play that, and I definitely want to keep my eyes on uh, this game, Twin Mirror. That There's just a little teaser trailer on YouTube, and the whole trailer itself reminds me of the beginning of Indigo Prophecy, where you kind of... It looks like the man kind of finds himself in this situation where it looks like he did something very bad, but he doesn't remember doing it. So it's kind of intriguing, but it is something we've seen before almost exactly so i'm curious what that game will turn out to be so yeah very cool let me ask you vampire do you get to bite motherfuckers <laughs> yes you do <laughs> <laughs> all right down for that yeah man um i'm gonna be honest and unapologetic about being a sony fan yeah there's nothing I'm looking forward to coming out from Microsoft just because I don't own that system. I don't own a Switch either and not interested in the new Super Smash Brothers because I know like Nintendo like holds on to this one thing that's like the big rage and that seems to be what it's going to be this year. But, uh, you know, as far as Sony's concerned, I mean, Last of Us 2, I think, is interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing something about that. I don't know how much we'll get to see. Some updates on Death Stranding, of course. Oh, yeah. I think it's going to be nice. I hope we maybe get to see some gameplay. I think Spider-Man's probably <laughs> close to coming out. So this is where I'm having flashbacks of this show from 2016. Right. Death Stranding, <laughs> Spider-Man. This, is, this all sounds really familiar to me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I guess that's the crazy thing about E3 is like, you almost wish they would wait to announce the game until it's going to come out the next year. Instead, E3s have become this whole thing of let's just show little by little where it's kind of progressed to. Right. Or just announcing it, you know, like we are going to make this game, <laughs> right, you know, right. like here, here's we might a have logo. Last Guardian to blame for all of this, right. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it looks like there's some cool games, Ghosts of Tsushima and Days Gone, which, you know, again, they've been hammering that one out for years as well. So I guess mainly this E3, I'm just looking forward to seeing kind of where we're at in the development of games that I already knew were coming out. And even though I'm excited for E3 and I think it's going to be a fun time and I'm always going to be dialed in, I guess I'm kind of getting tired of being drug along year after year about what's coming out, you know? Yeah. And I don't want to sound cynical or like I'm like dispassionate about video games, but I sometimes wonder, like, what is the percentage of games that come out that I'm, like, really, really excited about? Mm-hmm. Despite what we, <laughs> despite what was recorded in 2016 on our, 
on our E3 episode. <laughs> um, even looking back and listening back, it's like Persona 5 was really the only game I gave a shit about at the time, and it wasn't even part of that E3. So it's really weird to think, like, even from back then to now, what could be conceived or announced or come out that would excite me and hopefully it's something i'm not saying that i'm a stone wall and nothing you know nothing impresses me but like you know i guess it takes a lot nowadays i don't know what that is but it's because i have hundreds and hundreds of video games to play and i'm not (laughs) i'm not at this moment looking to buy so many more so i think that's part of it yeah uh speaking of being impressed I understand you've actually got a pickup this month. Oh, yes, I do. Um, <laughs> yeah, I got something I've always wanted. Uh, I bought a Burberry polo shirt. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really did, but that's that's not my pickup. That's just a joke. Call it what you will, but I'm kind of a polo shirt fanatic. Like I really like wearing them. They're comfortable. I think they look sharp, so... I have a bunch of good ones and I've I never had a Burberry one and I've always wanted one. So it's funny you texted me, hey, eBay has a 20 percent coupon right now. I'm, I might get Detroit or uh, I think you said, yeah, I'm going to get the spoiler. No, sorry. <laughs> pick up next month. <laughs> so I just texted you back. Uh, yeah, I just got a Burberry polo. I always wanted one. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was just silence. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, my actual score was um, Radiant Historia Perfect Chronology for the 3DS. Cool. And I got this in a trade with Disposed Hero, our friend Steven, who, we were, who we've mentioned uh, on the show as a former host and three-time guest. And also one of the best traders on the planet Earth to do trades with. Great stuff, yes. You know, it's funny, sometimes I'm getting a lot of stuff from him and or... It's usually not vice versa, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. But this time, <laughs> I was able to find a lot of stuff on his want list that he put up. And uh, even more stuff that he didn't have listed. We talked for a long time, and I sent him a big-ass box of games. And uh, he sent me back this game, a strategy guide for Ace Combat 4, and a bunch of cash. So that was a really good trade for me. And uh, the game Radiant Historia is one that... I've always wanted to play. I do have it on the DS, but I figured why not grab this enhanced remake. I've heard some really great things about it, and uh, I prefer playing the 3DS. As much as I like the DS, I, I'd rather play in the 3DS if, if a game is available on it. All right. Now, let me ask you a more personal question as far as this transaction is concerned. Okay. <laughs> so, you said you got a bunch of cash. Now, are you going to take that cash and buy games with that cash? Reinvest that cash since you already have it? Or uh, is that going to like the uh, joint account? So I've been buying other stuff off of eBay, video game stuff that's not worth talking about on small scores. For example, a bunch of Wii accessories that I needed. Like Okay. So to answer your question, so the money that comes in from either trades or selling stuff on eBay just goes into PayPal. And I, I've always considered PayPal to be play money. Now, when it goes over a certain amount, I will siphon some of that off into the bank account because how much money can you just use as play money? If I'm selling a ton of games and I end up with like, I don't know, hundreds, let's just say hundreds of dollars in my PayPal, Mm -hmm. I'm going to start siphoning that off into the bank account. 
So mm. okay, I would never do that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> 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 uh, well, man. Well, you did get another pickup this month. You got something from me. I sent you something, right? I mean, it's not for you, but that's true. Well. So, yeah, I'm working on a little project, and uh, I can't say too much about it because... Um, oh, okay, okay, okay. Exp- we can let that I, slide. You know what? If we remember, I will explain everything after it happens, but I'm working on something for somebody, and uh, I don't want to discuss it on the air. All right. Well, awesome, man. Glad you had a pickup to talk about. That was really cool. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, several this month, so uh, I'll go through them real quick. PS2, I picked up a game called Firefighter FD18. And, you know, feel free to comment, Sean, if you've played in these games or, you know, if you'd recommend them. I uh, also picked up, I had the second and third Shadow Hearts games, and I picked up the original. Nice. I know you're happy about we gotta that. We got to play that. I think we could do it as a playthrough. It's a little long, but not too long. Yeah. And it's not very expensive. I think somewhere between 30 and 40 bucks for the first yeah. game. I picked an, up another game called Tokobot Plus. Uh, now, this was a game that I already had on the PSP, and I'm going to sell that copy now because um, Tokobot on the PSP doesn't have the extra content that Tokobot Plus does. And quite honestly, I play my PS2 a lot more than I do my PSP. Yeah. Do you feel that goes against your rules a little bit of wanting to play the original game as we've talked about? No, because I feel like these two came out around the same time. Okay. They just put more content on the PS2. So, no, not really. Right. Point um, taken. Yeah. For the Genesis, I grabbed a copy of The Lost Vikings, which is a platformer where you can kind of switch in between three different characters. Uh, it's games on the Genesis and the Super Nintendo. I uh, picked up a copy of Game Ground, which is sort of an action strategy game. Uh, made by Renovation, which is one of my favorite studios on the Genesis. They put out some really kind of funky games. Maybe not the best games on the system, but I always find them kind of different and quirky and obviously enjoy that. Uh, for the PS1, uh, speaking of our December competition, I picked up Hot Shots Golf 1 and 2. Now, I had 3 and 4 for the PS2, and that's where I started playing the Hot Shots games, and that's probably my favorite golf series ever. Really love those Hot Shots games, and uh, so I figured I would just pick 1 and 2 up on the cheap and see how that series sort of started out. I picked up a copy of Space Invaders for PS1. This is sort of a a reimagining of the Space Invaders game. I like to do that with all the Atari titles on the PS1. And then you sent me a copy of No One Can Stop Mr. Domino, <laughs> yeah. which is this kind of strategy puzzle game that looked pretty neat when I watched a video on it. I picked up a copy of a few PS4 games. I picked up Limited Run's Rock Boshers. And then I also picked up a copy of Wolfenstein The New Order on PS4, which mentioned before, I'm not really into the Wolfenstein games, but I've heard so many good things about The New Order that I just had to pick up a copy to maybe play down the road. Cool. For the DS, I picked up a complete copy of Scourge Hive. I picked it up for a few bucks. It was in the like under $5 bin at my local store. And I was like, this looks pretty neat. Kind of read the back of it. It seemed interesting enough. And, you know, for the price, I just went ahead and grabbed it. I bought a game off a site called Filthy Game Rooms. And this was an NES game. I've got a full set, but, man, I've got this weird thing about myself now. <laughs> now that I have the full set, I'm kind of like, 
I still want to get NES games, and I'm looking for unlicensed games I still need. But I picked up a five-screw copy of Kid Icarus. <laughs> oh, I saw you post about this. Yeah. Variants, bro. <laughs> <laughs> well... I guess, but I'm not really variant collecting for the system, unless there's like a totally different label like Gunsmoke, or if it's a, like two different games like The Untouchables. But when it comes to like the black box games, for some reason, I decided I wanted to start searching out the five screw copies. And that's like the back of the cart. The earlier black box games had like five screws in them. And then there's some other games outside of the black box game that are also five screws as well. And I think they went to three security screws to keep people from tampering with the games and also to save a little bit of money. But yeah, so I picked up a copy of Kid Icarus. The guy had it for a really, really nice price. And again, great experience on Filthy Games Room. I also found locally a copy of Splatterhouse on the NES. Um, as you know, it's a Famicom game, but uh, my local store just uh, got it in. Someone sold it, and it was pretty cheap. It was a, It's a black cart, and it has blood splatter all over it. So I was like, man, that's pretty neat. So I picked that up. And then um, you sent me a copy of Brandish for the Super Nintendo. You and I have been working out that deal for quite a long yeah. time. <laughs> so you've been holding that for me. And also picked up a copy locally of Chuck Rock for the Super Nintendo. But my big score for the last month was I picked up a copy of Castlevania Legends for the Game Boy. And uh, picked it up for like 40% of what it actually sells yeah. for. And it's a really, really nice copy. It's set for some uh, magic marker on the back, which I could... Uh, you know, swap that back out if I wanted to, or I can probably clean it off. So uh, really stoked to get that pretty rare game for the Game Boy for an amazing price. Yeah, I, that still blows my mind that they marked that down so much for the marker on it. <laughs> There's so many ways to get marker off the back of a Game Boy cart, or like a lot of our friends said, swap out the back of the cart. <laughs> so right. it's like, damn, why? I guess like just to move it quickly, that's all they cared about, so... I'll take any error in my favor that I can get. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Want to talk a little bit about what we're playing? Yeah, for sure. I guess I could go first. I'm playing every Tom Clancy game on the Wii, which is... Okay. <laughs> there are only three, actually, believe it or not. There's tons of Tom Clancy games out there. And I should mention, too, I, I actually read my first Tom Clancy book ever last week. I was going to ask you that, yeah. If you're just a big Tom Clancy book fan no. or what the reason was for that. Yeah, okay. no. So I have a friend back in New Jersey, Brian. Shout out to Brian. I know he doesn't listen to this. But <laughs> Peace, Brian. <laughs> and uh, we talked about books a lot. Somehow Tom Clancy came up and he was like, I love Tom Clancy. You would love him. Read Rainbow Six. And I was like, are you for real? Like, this is good stuff? And he was like, yeah, no, all his books are really good. So I finally ended up reading Rainbow Six. And this is a good book. It's a badass book. I, I, I really liked it. Kind of cool. Like, <laughs> you know, it is really rah-rah America. The good guys win every time. There's almost no, like, sense of urgency to it because the good guys are winning all the time. But it was a pretty cool book. But anyway, so that naturally, as we all know, spawned this kind of video game name brand that we have and um that's where we got all the tom clancy games ghost recons and the rainbow sixes and the splinter cells so there were three games released on the wii with the tom clancy moniker on them the first one was ghost recon which i talked about last month and i actually ended up writing an article about on the site 
and I just pointed out to a lot of people that this is actually a really good game. It's a light gun game. If you're into light gun games, don't miss out on this. So after Ghost Recon, I played Hawks 2, and that's spelled H-A-W-X-2. And no, there was no Hawks 1 on the Wii for some reason. That that game only made it to the other consoles, and they put Hawks 2 on the Wii. That's going to be my next article on the site. By the time this episode airs, it'll be either up or about to be up. And uh, But that's that's just a cool little flight simulator Definitely like an Ace Combat wannabe, and I, I write all about that on the blog there. And then currently, and I'm a, I think I'm towards the end of it, is Splinter Cell Double Agent. And I've actually only played the newer Splinter Cell games. I've never played the older Splinter Cell games to completion. I might have screwed around with them or done a mission or two and just gave up on them. But I've played Splinter Cell Conviction and Blacklist. However, those aren't really considered to be part of the like core franchise. Those are almost a, a reboot. But Double Agent is really cool. However, I'm going to spoil my probably the, the bottom line of whatever my review is going to be is that it's a pretty cool game, but I wouldn't recommend playing it on the Wii because it really does rely on motion controls where it would be a totally unnecessary. Uh, so I'd recommend just play it on the Xbox 360 probably or the PC. So yeah, that's what I've been playing. Tom Clancy games on the Wii. <laughs> I'm still just... I love the Wii, man. I love my Wii. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool, man. Sounds like some pretty interesting games. Looking forward to that review on Hawks, man. It's going to be awesome. Nice. So what are you playing? Oh, come on, man. Give me one for old time's sake. Oh, because it's our 50th episode? Yeah, you episode? got to. You got to. All right. Rich, what are you playing? Well, Sean... speaking of pickups uh i did have one more pickup but i wanted to wait to save it for what are you playing okay Um, yeah i picked up a copy of zeo drifter for the vita uh this is a limited runs title my local shop actually has a ton of limited runs games and it's kind of nice if i ever miss one then they usually get a few in i don't know who their distributor is or how they do this but what they've also started doing is taking in used limited run games when they come in, of course. And so I was able to get this copy of Zeo Drifter. It was the ninth release for the Vita, I think eighth release for the PS4. Zeo Drifter is a Metroid clone. I would describe it as Metroid Light. <laughs> I finished it in probably less than four hours, 95% complete. It's a fun game, and I really liked it, and I was like really high on recommending it to people that like Metroid, like Krabby and Duke and those guys, so I did mention it, but if I had to kind of take it back, I would kind of say that even though like I really enjoyed it, I feel like someone who's like a huge Metroid fan and really loves the difficulty of Metroid enjoys like bosses that vary like tremendously and multiple styles of upgrades on weapons. Now you can upgrade weapons in this game by putting points in a certain categories. Like you make it stronger. You can make the, the waves spread out more. You can make the beams wavier. And so you can do that, but you don't get like ice beams or, you know, different, you know, weapons like that. But, um, it's a Metroidvania style game. It's on the easy side, so it's a lot of fun. And, 
you know, it, it was a real relaxing game for me to play on my Vita, and it looks beautiful. It's got that classic, like, 8-bit graphic design, lots of lots of detail, looks super, super nice on the handheld Vita. So, if you're into Metroid games, and I think you are somewhat into Metroid games, right? I don't know if I would go out on that limb, but <laughs> I'm not against them. Uh, just they haven't tickled my fancy so far. Right, right. Well, this might be the sort of game that you would enjoy because it is sort of on the lighter side. It's not super difficult like, let's say, you know, Metroid is or in some instances Super Metroid. So for somebody that wants to kind of get into those type of games, I think it's a perfect like intro to them. And I had a lot of fun with it, and, uh, you know, I definitely recommend it, but kind of know what you're getting into. It's a limited runs game, so they typically are a little pricier, especially if, you know, you're not buying them live, although I got this one for a really good price. But realize that it is on the shorter side, but, you know, it is neat, and it's a fun game, and, you know, enjoyed my time with it. And then the other game that I'm currently playing is... Hot Shots Golf World Invitational on my Vita. As I mentioned, I'm a big Hot Shots fan. We've got this uh, December competition coming up, and so I'm just kind of like itching to play a golf games because we talked about them so much. And so I've been playing this at night and just kind of taking it to work and, uh, you know, just getting a little bit of time on it. Um, it's your normal Hot Shots fare. If you if you like the Hot Shots games, I would say, you know, this is one you could pick up for your Vita if you wanted to play it on the go. Although, I do like the uh, the PS2 games a little bit better just because I like the, the funky type characters and the charm of those games. And this one, so far, because I haven't purchased characters after my wins, uh, it's a little more lackluster in the differentiation of uh, the characters. So... Yeah, it's fun, good game, but I would probably recommend the PS2 Hot Shots titles a little more. And that's it, man. Just wanted to congratulate you guys on the long success of the Playcast. You've been an awesome asset to RF Gen um, by getting us to play classics like Siberia and 50 Cent Blood in the Sand. So I'm looking forward to joining you guys on more games like those in the future. Keep up the great work. My slave, more beautiful than the goddess, I put her face to shame. Oh, look at me, what do you see? There's no one greater than me. I am the queen, the best you've seen, so worship me. Your Highness, Marjorie, we worship you as number one. Oh, yes. I am evil, personified, so get down on your knees. And if you're ever graced by my beauty, you'll thank your lucky stars. Aren't I great? I'm amazing myself all the time. <laughs> there is one thing that I still have to get. I won't rest till he's mine, Prince Ferdinand. 
have to be his mother. Hey, you shut up! My heart is burning, overheating with a raging fire. The prince I do admire, he fills me with desire. Dear Ferdinando, I am here to save you from this curse. Let his love quench my thirst. My precious, wait a little longer, I will end your strife. I'll bring you back to life, I'll be your wicked wife. Dear Ferdinando, I am here to save you from this curse. Let your love quench my thirst. Quench your thirst. If you dare to get in my way, we'll make you pay. You won't live another day. So for May, we played one of my favorite games of all time, and that is Rhapsody, a musical adventure for the PlayStation 1, and also remade and re-released. You could call it a port or kind of a remake for the Nintendo DS, and I'll explain the differences in a little bit. Uh, So this month, our participants were You and I, Rich, Pam, Disposed Hero, and Dougley007, Not a huge turnout, but we had, as usual, great commentary from quality human beings on the thread. So thank you for that, people. And we will be quoting all of you in a minute. Rhapsody was developed by Nippon Ichi and published by Atlas on the PlayStation 1 in Japan in 1998 and brought over to North America in 2000. A DS remake slash port was released in 2008. So this is actually the first game in a trilogy known as the Moral Kingdom series, but the sequels, yeah, so the second and third game were never brought over to North America, though, and they were never even fan translated that I know of, so there's really no way to play the second and third game in English, then the sad part is the second one was on the PS1, but the third game was actually on the PS2. So that naturally is very intriguing to me, and I really wish there was a way, short of me accelerating my study of the Japanese language, uh, (laughs) to be able to play and enjoy those other two games. So that's Rhapsody's development kind of history. And uh, Rich, I'm curious, had you heard about this game before you heard me proselytizing about it constantly? Probably not. I mean, of course, you know, I collect PS1 RPGs, and I think I had it on my maybe list and just didn't know enough about it to, you know, seek it out, pull the trigger. The price on it's not exceedingly high for a PS1 RPG, but high enough to where you feel like you need to know a little bit about the game before you buy it. So it wasn't on my radar until you started talking about it. Then once you did, in a few past episodes, I started seeking it out. Cool. Well, the hook of this game, for those who don't know, is that this is actually a musical. The game is called Rhapsody, a musical adventure. And that musical word in the title is not just a descriptor of the way the presentation goes in the game. It's a musical in a traditional sense, which means that the characters break out into song in place of where you would normally have like a video game cutscene. 
you get a song and sometimes a song and dance number mm-hmm. in the game and it's really amazing because uh they're fully voiced mm-hmm. and it's a really unique thing in a game to have characters just break out singing yeah and we should mention too that um it's a double disc case, but it's only one game disc. But the second disc, if you're so lucky to find the second disc in the manual when you find a copy, is actually the soundtrack. Yeah, that's true. And that is one thing to look out for when you're trying to procure a copy of this game is if you get it on the PS1, make sure it has that soundtrack disc because they are very commonly missing. Yeah. So I want to go over real real quick the version differences between the PlayStation 1 and the DS version. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure everyone on the forum played the PS1 version. I've played the PS1 version before, and I actually played it this time via emulation on my phone, which was kind of fun and unique to play it that way. So the PlayStation version has a strategy RPG style, but the DS version, they changed it to a turn-based battle style. In the PS1 version, there's adjustable difficulty, but really all the difficulties are pretty easy. And the DS version, I believe there's no difficulty selection. In the PlayStation 1 version, you can choose either English or Japanese voice singing, but in the DS version, it's only Japanese. Which, when it comes to voice acting, usually I prefer Japanese, but with the singing, I really think that's kind of a shortcoming of the DS version, is that you can't listen to both, or at least the the songs in English. So, the one major benefit of the DS version is that it has a mini-map because of the second screen, and we'll get into the dungeon design and and why that is very useful. Yeah, that would have been good. (laughs) Yeah, so... (laughs) But the one major, major, major drawback of the DS version is the widely reported game-breaking crashes and bugs, which Mm -hmm. I came upon one because I first started playing the DS version. And when I got to the talent show near the beginning of the game, the game just got to a point where it would not progress. The screen would go black as if it was going to a cutscene or a title card, and the game would just not progress. I tried saving in different places i tried all kinds of different things and uh it just wasn't working so that's a major like buyer beware to those who want the ds version i would just recommend playing the ps1 version whether you can get a copy or just emulate it it's really the superior version of the game so having gotten all that out of the way not only the musical numbers, but another thing that makes this game unique is the characters. So let's get into kind of the characters and a little bit about the story. Uh, you play as a, a young girl named Cornette, and she is followed around by this puppet fairy thing called Karuru. You live with your grandfather, but Cornette has been orphaned. Her parents have both passed away, her father in, in the war for moral kingdom and i'm not really good with the lore story of this game so they do explain it but i don't really remember it that well and they don't explain how your mother died until kind of the end but that plays into the ending of the game and then you have mustaki and polanski polanski is the grandfather 
And Mustaki serves the purpose of kind of giving a lot of exposition at about the halfway point in the game and explaining Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff. And then we also have the bad guys in the game, which actually they're all female. So it's uh, <laughs> it's a really. It took cool me a while to cast. figure that out. I thought one was a guy for a while, just because of the hair. But I, I figured that out toward the uh, probably toward the end of the game. Yeah, I went through the same thing. But as I did my research, and you know, you realize how the characters are speaking to one another. That uh, this is a rogues gallery of all femme fatales, so to speak. <laughs> So Marjolee is the leader of the group, and she has Gao, Crowdia, and Meow. Those are kind of the Koopa kids of this game. Those are the bosses that you'll fight yeah. throughout the game. It's <laughs> a good description. Um, right. And then um, the other character, a very important character, was Etoile Rosenqueen. And she's kind of the foil to Cornette. She's not an antagonist, but she's a kind of rich, snobby, and stuck-up, <laughs> like, nasty young lady to Cornette. And Cornette is supposed to be, like, from the country. She was supposed to be the simple girl, so Etoile is constantly picking on her for that. But as the game plays on, Etoile becomes one of the most developed characters in the game, and she's yeah. uh, a character that I really love in this game. And you and I were talking, Rich, I think she kind of falls into our like harem of ornery waifus from video games that we've played <laughs> because <laughs> Yeah, probably. <laughs> Cuz as we as we play, you know, we've done 50 episodes and we've played these games and I I in particular tend to latch on to female characters in games, but as we've been doing this show over the years, we've noticed that you and I kind of tend to like the roguish dark horse be they bitchy or saucy or just saucy or strong-willed or however you want to put it there's just something about them that there's we just like nasty women so we were thinking (laughs) about it today and uh (laughs) we had victoria from life is strange emily from until dawn clarissa from oxenfree and now we can add etoile from rhapsody and i think that's pretty cool those those are a bunch of chicks that I would love to have on my side in a fight. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a good point. Yeah, they can all, like, hold their own ground. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, and, you know, all of them I feel like have a redemptive quality about them, too. Except uh, maybe the girl from uh, Until Dawn. She's not very redemptive. I was pretty happy to see her die when I could. I kept trying to kill her and couldn't. But uh, um, the the others definitely have a, a very redemptive quality about them. Um, I'm going to butcher this name, but Etoile, is that right? Yeah, so it's Etoile. I had, dude, I had to look it up on my phone and have it pronounced a million times. And the way I remember it is it's Et, like Etu Brute, and then Toile as in tall, but with a W in front of the T. So Toile, Etoile. Okay, Etoile. (laughs) (laughs) My heavy Southern accent sounds fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Etoile. (laughs) I, I really like her character because... You know, she's this antagonist sort of at the beginning, but then you kind of feel like she has this deep-seated reason for being antagonistic toward Cornette. And you find out that they were friends when they were much younger. They were like really, really good friends, and somehow they've kind of drifted apart. And so they still kind of retain that friendship, but she still likes to pick on her and, and becomes sort of a bit of comic relief 
in the story. And so, yeah, she's probably one of the more well-developed characters in the game. Yeah, she definitely is. And definitely, like I said, probably my favorite character in the game. So the basic plot of the game is that Cornette is just a simple country girl and she kind of dreams about the prince and marrying the prince and it starts out in a very cliched way and she ends up going Mm. to a talent show that she discovers which is how they're trying to, to find a bride for the prince but then what happens is at some point after that talent show Marjorie kidnaps the prince and turns him into stone And uh, the scene where she kidnaps him is quite funny because it's at a ball and she tries to cast a spell to get him to love her and she casts the wrong spell and turns him into stone and doesn't know how to (laughs) fix it. So this game is hilarious through and through, but that was one of my favorite scenes. Anything where Marjorie Lee is getting her comeuppance is, is very funny in this game. Yeah, they're always ripping on her for being old, too, which yeah. is kind of funny um, because she is by far uh, the more, um, how do I put it, mature character in the game. She's um, <laughs> really jiggly. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know pretty well endowed, I guess you could say. All the sprites have like a close-up picture, too, which show like different emotions and stuff, too. And she doesn't look old in that either, so it's... It's kind of a funny thing, but just looking at the character sprites, you would never really know that she's old or older. So, yeah, it's interesting, though. And and it does uh, provide quite a bit of comic relief throughout the game. Definitely. So I want to talk a little bit about the gameplay and, and the other things like graphics and then kind of loop back around to the story because there's some philosophical stuff I want to talk about and some major plot twists that I want to save for later. So let's just roll right into gameplay. Um, As I mentioned, in the PS1 version, the battle system is tactical battles, but it's not like Shining Force where the whole game is a series of major tactical battles. What it is is you're going through the world like a traditional RPG and you're hitting random encounters and you're doing these tactical battles that are just on one screen. You might travel a grid of maybe nine or 12 spaces before the battle's over. It's very small scale. And the one unfortunate thing about the battle system is that the game is so easy that you can really just mash the circle button, which is kind of the auto mm-hmm. battle button. And that will just move all the characters into place and make them attack. I haven't beaten the game on hard. I haven't really tried it but i i can tell you that on easy and medium you can play almost the entire game by pounding that circle button i know this is off-putting to a lot of people who are looking for at least some kind of challenge in a game so how did you feel about that rich the degree of difficulty or complete lack thereof well i kind of knew that it was an easy game going in because we've talked about it you know off the record and I went with normal, which is what I traditionally go with with games, thinking that that might provide some challenge. And then I think one of our other players, I can't remember, it might have been, let's see, I think it was Steven that actually played it on hard. And he said that it really provided no challenge for him, even on right. hard. I did try the circle button a few times just to test it out, you know, because I could bring it up in conversation. And I felt like it was okay under normal mode, but I also felt that 
it didn't really make the best decisions and that I could make better decisions and keep my character's health up a lot more if I were to play it on my own because your, your health doesn't reset for each battle. You know, you have to heal like after battle, during battle to raise your health. So it's kind of important to be smart with how you play, even though the game is fairly simple. But, you know, being someone who's played a lot of RPGs, this game was very, very easy mode. And as far as off-putting, uh, I guess it could be, but kind of the style of the game, it kind of fits. You know what I mean? I mean, it sort of has kind of a uh, kitty kind of feel to the game. It's definitely RPG light, and you get that feeling through the plot and through kind of everything going on with the game. Yeah, absolutely. I should mention, too, you have your standard attack, but you also have a lot of cool magic attacks, as with many RPGs. Yeah. But in this game, they have kind of a cute twist. So Cornette herself has this kind of special system where she will play her horn, which will kind Mm -hmm. of give stat buffs to the characters around her. But it also fills up this meter at the top of the screen, which kind of levels up. You'll see musical notes go across this meter, and then it'll go from zero to one. And then you fill it up again, it goes from one to two. And those are the levels of your special attack. And the special attacks are based on desserts. So there's... (laughs) And way over Right, right. (laughs) So there's flan, and there's pancakes, and cake, and... uh, They just fill the screen, and it's the most funny, awesome, cute thing you've ever seen. Like these flan dishes (laughs) just smashing the enemies. And like you said, a lot of times just doing major damage, if not winning the battle outright. So what did you think about those? Well, I think the heavier one is the the pancakes, right? I think that's the most powerful one. Yeah, they're funny, man. It's really kind of cute and uh, just hilarious to see, like giant pancakes falling down on all of your enemies and they're nice and i typically tried to save mine for boss battles and uh you know some of the bigger encounters so kind of the style of building them up i thought that was kind of a neat mechanic but i never felt like i really had to use them that much during normal combat and if i saved them for boss battles it basically just put the boss battles on sort of easy mode you know yeah definitely And also the companion players in your party have some pretty cool magic attacks. I don't know how much you were able to utilize those, but those also have really cool like effects on the screen, like rainbows flashing all over the place. And the one with the snowmen was just really funny and awesome. I forget what it was called, but like it almost looks like a a really cool screensaver of these little tiny snowmen flying across the screen. And then one big snowman comes smashing down on the screen. So it's like, there's all kinds of like cool, fun stuff. I think that is one of the hooks to kind of fool around with the battle system, as opposed to just Mm -hmm. spamming your way with the circle button, just to be able to fool around with those magic spells and see all the graphical presentation for them and sound effects, you know, was kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, you can play this game in any style you want to, which is kind of nice. I mean, if you just want to play the game entirely melee, you can, right? Um, And and just, you know, use magic to heal. You can play it that way. And that's probably how I played, I would say, 90% of the game. I didn't use a whole lot of spells, even though you get plenty of magic in the game. I've never found myself really running out of magic. So 
that that was kind of nice as well. But um, yeah, it's open to play in any style you want to, and uh, I think that's kind of nice. So Pam commented on the battle system in combat. She said... The addition of the movement squares is a neat addition to combat, though playing on normal so far, the difficulty is extremely low. So she kind of concurs with us in the general consensus of this game. So just moving right along in the gameplay segment here, we talked a lot about the battle system, but beyond that, you are kind of talking about just a traditional RPG You go from towns to dungeons on an overworld map and you have to talk to people in the town to figure out where you're supposed to go next. So there's a lot of things that will be familiar to RPG fans, but there's also this kind of recruiting system that is very similar to either, let's say, Pokemon or Shin Megami Tensei game where an enemy will after you defeat it, will say, I would like to join you, uh, you know, mm-hmm. can I? And you can say yes or no. And a lot of times it's common enemies, but also for the puppets that are characters in the game, they have special side quests. And yeah. there are certain ones that there are certain ways to recruit them. Sometimes you have to fight them in battle. Sometimes you have to trigger certain events to get them into your party. So if you're a completionist, this can be a really challenging game to play because there are many puppets to collect and whose side stories you want to do. I didn't do too many of them. I think I did Flare, the Dragon, and um, the Three Knights, who I forget their names now. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I know Dougley was commenting on trying to find the eggs, Billy, Tell, and uh, I forget the other one's name. But how did you do with that? Were you into doing the side quests, collecting them all? And I also am curious, how did you configure your party? Did you stick with one party? Because there's tons of options here. You can really grind this game out if you want to level up all these puppets and monsters and sell them. And there's a really like a treadmill quality to this game that you can go through if you choose to. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um I did think that the um, addition of party members was cool. There are a ton of puppets you can find in the game. But like you said, you can also pick up enemies that decide that they want to join your party. Honestly, I didn't use a lot of those enemies. Basically, you can take them in town and also sell them to get cash. And I tell you, cash is a little tough to come by in this game. It's not plentiful like it is in, in most games. So I would end up just selling anyone that joined my party, typically. I never sold any of my puppets, so they could go for some fairly high value. And I know there were some that I'd really never used much, but I don't know. When it comes to finding party members and recruiting party members, say, like games like Sui Coden, I like to try to get them all. And I definitely got all the uh, puppets in this game. And when I could... I would finish out their quest. I did the um, frog quest. I definitely did that one. And I found the three snow brothers. I joined them together. I don't think there's anything else that you have to do with that quest. But uh, I think I did find all the puppets. And uh, yeah, really, really neat mechanic. And uh, enjoyed that each of them sort of had their own story um, and weren't just sort of joining your party just to help save the world or help you save this prince they actually serve some purpose in the story outside of that 
Yeah, I totally agree. That was a very cool way to kind of tie in a side quest to that recruiting aspect of the game. And it just popped into my head that third egg is named Kid. So you got Kid, Billy, and uh, Tell. I, yeah. I had forgotten that. So It'd been uh, cooler if it was like Play. If it was like Kid and Play, <laughs> you know. One had like a dope flat top. That would be cool. And made bad house party <laughs> movies. <laughs> So yeah, we mentioned that we have towns and dungeons, but one thing that kind of bugs me about this game and bugs a lot of people is that the dungeons are a cluster, (laughs) if you will, (laughs) because they're very directionless and a lot of the rooms are copied and pasted, so it's hard to tell where you came from and where you're going. And then on top of that, there's only like three different kinds of dungeons, Like there's this kind of tunnel thing that basically looks like you're going through a tunnel and they branch off in different uh, directions and all they do is like change the color when you go to different ones. Yeah, like a rocky cave sort of design, I would say. Yeah, exactly. And then there's this other kind of template. It just looks like a temple with columns and it's all brick and stone and just doors and stairs. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's a little generic, and it's very disappointing that they just copied and pasted these things. But it's one of those things that whatever they had to do for the budget, I mean, we're talking a late 90s PS1 game. I don't know what their budget was. I don't know what their time constraints were. So they probably had reasons to do this. But uh, that's just one of the major drawbacks of the game, even to the point where in towns, and a lot of games do do this, In the towns, a lot of the houses are exactly the same. You know, the NPCs Mm -hmm. are reused all over the place. Again, Rich, I I wonder, were the dungeons a pain in the ass? I'm going to be completely honest. I used a walkthrough for the dungeons. Oh, totally used a walkthrough (laughs) through the dungeons. Yeah, yeah. Um, And probably started using that walkthrough about halfway through the game because that's where it got a little bit more difficult. And they got bigger and more expansive. And really, I, I didn't want to miss any additional puppets that I could get in the game. And oh, so okay. that was a big reason for the walkthrough. But yeah, it's irritating. Things looking the same. I thought that this was probably the weakest part of the game. Yes. Not a big fan of just swapping the color palettes and just reusing different types of dungeons. I don't want to say it's a minor gripe. It's it's more of a, it's probably the more major gripe I have about this game, but uh, I still enjoyed my time with it. It wasn't a buzz killer, so to speak. Yeah, very true. I mean, the two major criticisms that, that you could legitimately level against this game is that it's way too easy and that the dungeons are a pain in the ass. Neither one of these things is a reason to not play the game. Like the dungeons, you really can get through them with a little bit of patience and exploring or just use a walkthrough because the game is worth enjoying beyond that. And I'll just add this to it. I mean, with most of the games that we play, if not all the games we play that have dungeons, I'm going to use a walkthrough because I've got a month to complete well, the game. Well, that's true you know, for us. Less sometimes. Yeah. So. It wasn't a killer for me. I couldn't find any good maps online, so I had to use a text walkthrough, and that got really confusing sometimes. Some of the descriptions were poor in some instances. When when you're reading something that just says, up, left, up, down, stairs, you know. Yeah, I know. Up to the next crossroads, and then you lose your place when you're reading, too. So, yeah, (laughs) it it was a bit of a challenge. (laughs) 
Um, so you have something in the notes here, lack of enhancements. Are you talking about like the accessories and buffs? Well, the accessories give you buffs. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, right. There was kind of not a great stock of those. And you'll find going from town to town, like a lot of times there's nothing new. Like in a, in a lot of RPGs, you yeah. get excited to go to the next town, see what weapons you're going to get, see what accessories you can get, just get bigger, better things. Uh, but I think that's what you were kind of pointing to with this note here, right? Absolutely. You know, one of the things I really like about RPGs and the majority of them, like you said, is you go to towns later in the game, you're finding better and better weapons and accessories to equip. I felt like this game, like even later in the game, you're getting stuff that's worse than what you might find middle of the way through. And there's not a lot of variety. Anyone can equip anything. There's not this sort of um, classification based on whether someone's a caster or someone's a warrior that they can equip certain types of weapons. It doesn't have that classical Dungeons and Dragons type structure, you know, that you find in a lot of RPGs. You know, I mean, I give it credit for being different in that way, but at the same time, part of like an RPG that I really enjoy and really love is like upgrading my weapons and see how much harder I'm going to hit after those upgrades. Cool. So let's move on to the graphics of this game, and now we can get more back into the positive elements of this game, because I love the graphics here. Um, we got really colorful, nice, pastel-colored sprite work, kind of anime-ish character portraits, and I really feel, and I put here in the notes, that the game could have been done on the SNES, and I mean that in a good way. Oh my gosh, yeah. It's beautiful. It looks just like an SNES game, right? It really doesn't look like a PlayStation game. Yeah. And the reason for that, I think, is because they didn't fool with polygons at all. The whole thing is sprite and pixel art. So unlike games that we've played in the past, like Suicoden or Vandal Hearts, where the developers tried to mix in the 3D elements with the sprites, 
This game is just all sprites and pixel art. The backgrounds are very lush. Uh, the forest areas, the towns are very detailed. Again, not the interiors of the houses per se, because of a lot of them are copied and pasted. But I found that all the towns in this game have a very distinct personality and they feel very alive and there's just a lot of beauty in the game in general. Yeah, I mean, it's really odd for the time that this game was released that they would sort of stick with a classic structure of going with pixel art, but I totally agree with you. I think it was the right choice for this game, and honestly, I I wish that I would have seen more games like this on the PS1. I don't really care for the polygon look. I know it was the new technology at the time, and everyone was trying to work it in, make it fit with their game, but uh, this game is simply beautiful, and like you said totally looks like an SNES game and uh, it would have fit quite well on that system. Very true. So I got to say also, I I really think the cover art for both versions is quite eye-catching and that's actually one of the things that drew me to the game in the first place. There's just this really beautiful drawing of the character who we discover at the end of the game, let's say. And we're not quite there yet, but she's on the front cover of the PlayStation 1 version. And then on the DS version, we have just a really cool action shot of Cornette and Karuru that I really like. So there's a lot of artwork associated with this game, and you can actually collect it throughout the game. There's a lot of Easter eggs, too, we should mention. The the localization team had a lot of fun with this one. <laughs> There's really a lot of fourth wall breaks with the localization. There's one thing that says, like, this box is smelly or something. But then it said, like, this is what you get when you translate Japanese literally. <laughs> and it was like... <laughs> Uh, wow, that's a funny, weird, like, fourth wall break. And then there's this one chest in the game that just says, sings like an Atlas jingle. Did yes, there's actually that, a few Rich? places where that happens in the game. I found a few of those. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, I found the one in the castle, and uh, I also found a bunch of the artwork. Did you like all these kind of flourishes and touches and fourth wall breaks? Because they've bothered me in other games before, but I've kind of rolled with it in this game. Yeah, I thought it was okay. I mean, I wish the Atlas one would have only occurred one time and maybe in like a really secret hidden place. You know what I mean? I think that would have been cool, but it is a little jarring because it's an easy find in the game if you're looking through every room in the castle, which, you know, I typically do anyway. So it was a little weird, but it did kind of put a smile on my face, you know, when I did. I was like, oh, okay. You know, I mean, this game's cutesy anyway so it kind of fits in with the style of the game and it really didn't bother me like it might in say uh, a more serious rpg like if it was in vandal hearts i wouldn't have really cared for it that much if that makes sense yeah totally it actually reminds me somewhat of like a working designs translation but kind of better I played the game Albert Odyssey on the Sega Saturn, which is a working designs translation. And they really kind of dated the game by including all these weird references to like OJ Simpson and Bill Clinton and all these weird things that were from the early nineties in the game. And it was like, Oh, like (laughs) why did they do this? Like it was very off putting. So I'm glad in this game, it's a little more even handed, you know? 
Yeah, and one of the things I wanted to mention, if you follow me on uh, Twitter and Instagram, I posted one of the more interesting pieces of dialogue. Oh, uh, I was <laughs> I was checking a drawer. It says, "You found a pair of crusty panties. Do you smell them?" <laughs> that's, that's I didn't get a much, yes or man. no option, but uh, <laughs> still, it was interesting. <laughs> So as I mentioned before, this game is actually a musical in the theatrical sense. So the characters will break out into song and dance. And and a lot of them is just cornet singing love songs. Or the pageant is kind of cornet and etoile just kind of shedding their feelings about life. You know what I mean? So it it has this kind of sentimental, kind of weepy... Not sad, but maybe cheesy quality to it. But there are a lot of standout tracks that are more kind of offbeat, funky, off-kilter, and not just your standard fare, kind of soft, longing-for-love kind of song. Some of the standouts for me, one in particular was the song that was sung in the town of Caro Caro, which is mm-hmm. where the frogs live. And that song is called Amphibian Paradise. You know, we were talking about David Byrne before. Yeah. And I know you're a big fan. And I I really felt this song had like kind of a David Byrne, maybe a little bit of a David Bowie vibe. So I wonder, did you pick up on that? I didn't, but we do these outlines and you had added that to the outline. And when I did hear it, I was like, yeah, it's like very um, world music sounding, if you, if you know what I mean, like sort of a, a David Byrne or sort of like a Paul Simon when he was off on his own, like in the 80s. Yeah, I, I definitely picked that up. There's some like um, very sort of like tribal sounds and things like that in the song, which was really, really neat. That's awesome. The The other one I really liked was when <laughs> the guy, I forget his name, takes you to the mountain to hunt the nine tails, which are these weird little creatures who are protecting the stones that you have to collect in this game. Was that the Mountain Men song? Is that yeah. What <laughs> so he says, out of respect for the nine tails, we sing a song to warn them that we're coming. <laughs> you know, even though you're going to go hunt and kill them, you're going to let them know you're coming first. But then, yeah, he sings this weird song about, like, we are mountain men and all this. It's very weird compared to the other songs, but I think it's meant to be that way, you know? Exactly. And it's really funny, and it really reminded me. I forget if it's South Park or one of the, or if it's, like, the Team America movie or one of those movies has a song that's just like man 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 like (laughs) and it just really made me think of something like that but yeah those are my two favorites uh so what were some of the tracks that stood out for you rich definitely the amphibian paradise song that you spoke of earlier uh was one of my favorites but i think my favorite track was probably the evil queen song which is sung by marjorie and there's these cats in the game that just kind of show up and are pushovers and are kind of comic relief but there's this like little dance number that they do around her and she's singing and everyone's making fun of her for being old it's a really neat song i really like that it's probably my favorite song in the game I really thought that song had a very Disney vibe to it. It reminded me of that scene in The Little Mermaid where Ursula's singing and the eels uh, are kind of singing around her. I'm sure you've seen Little Mermaid, right? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, The entire game has a very sort of 
Disney feel to it, I feel like, because the story is this girl who's going to save this prince, which is, you know, sort of the inverted Disney story that we're used to. But I kind of felt like the entire game was like playing a Disney game and being a musical, which you get with every Disney movie. I mean, you know, come on, they got to sell their soundtracks, right? This game kind of fit into that mold for me. And uh, I thought that it could easily just be a movie. They might have to clean it up a little bit. Can't smell panties in a Disney movie, but, you know... (laughs) Yeah, it definitely came off to me as having that sort of vibe. And like I said, the Evil Queen song just reminded me so much of uh, Ursula and the Little Mermaid, that song after she takes uh, Ariel's voice down in the cave. Yeah, that's a great comparison. And that song is just hilarious in that whole performance. Yeah. And I love those cats, man. They really were like very yeah. funny. And they're also constantly poking fun at Marjorie, which is really funny. So yeah, speaking of which, I do want to touch a little bit on the humor here. So basically what I want to do is just comment on the humor and then go back into the story and round out the story and then we'll we'll get into our final thoughts here. But one of my favorite things about this game is the humor and I can't think of any other game that I've played that has so many laugh out loud moments like really really like laugh out loud like crack me up as if I'm watching a really funny movie and I think a lot of that has to do with the writing it has to do with the chemistry between Cornette and Karuru and between Cornette and Etoile and all the characters are so well written that when they kind of riff on each other or say kind of stupid things, <laughs> basically, it can be really funny. Like, I posted something on my Instagram where Etoile says, oh, Cornette, you look really tired. Or is that just how ugly your face is normally or something like that? <laughs> like, just a really, like, sick burn. And it was just funny as hell. One of the other moments was when... um when you go to the barbecue it's a very short dungeon it's just three rooms but the comedy here is that you're going to a barbecue to get frog souffle or something but you're actually being prepped to become the meal yourself oh it's funny first of all didn't the big chef remind you of the um the thing from diablo (laughs) the butcher (laughs) what was that guy said yeah he reminded me of the butcher from diablo fresh meat um (laughs) But anyway, he says, we made you sweat and now we're going to tenderize you and all this other stuff. And Karuru just turns over and says, oh, yeah, I'm ready to be tenderized. (laughs) I thought it was so funny. Like, it's just stupid. It's stupidly funny, but I thought it was so funny. And I think that's the thing. Like, when you play a game that's trying to do humor, you got to find humor that hits, hits you on a personal level because... Like we talked about Conquer, and I think for you and I, that humor, it didn't really hit. Like that was a different kind of humor. It worked a tiny little bit sometimes, but then there were a lot of issues with it. Or most of the time, it just wasn't that funny to us where we are at our, in our lives now. However, I, I just thought Rhapsody was hilarious. It really works well as a comedy. Do you agree there? Were you were you laughing? Were you playing it with the kids at all, too? That's another question that I want to ask you. Yeah, I played some of it with the kids, you know, and having to finish it, 
I probably finished this in maybe three settings. I didn't get to play with the kids, you know, later into the night, but uh, definitely a game that I would really love for them to play, especially, you know, if you can just mash circle. It's a perfect way to get kids or anyone new to RPGs into these type of games. Uh, my son really, really wanted to play it, and uh, I was like, eh, I kind of got to get this thing going and kind of got to finish it, you know, and I felt kind of bad about that, but I think it's one that we can kind of put in his log and let him play down the road or fairly soon. But as far as the humor's concerned, yeah, I mean, it's really, really goofy humor and it's fun and, you know, it's neat. It's probably not my most preferred type of humor. I'm more of the like kind of really witty kind of humor person, maybe a little potty humor, you know, like Conker's, but not like off-putting. You made a good point with contrasting the Conquerors. It's probably on the sliding scale on the far opposite end. And, you know, mainly for me, I look for something sort of in the middle, more the intelligent type type of humor. But it really works for this game. Again, I think I've said that a few times during this call. It really fits with the nature of the game and what they're trying to do. So I do think it's very, very appropriate and uh, a nice fit for this game. Yeah, I think one example that stuck out to me as I was playing the game, since we mentioned Conquer a couple times, like, so in a game like Conquer is Bad Fur Day, you literally have rooms full of shit with a boss that's made of shit. And it's just like, it becomes so over the top that it's like a fish swimming in water and you the fish says, what water? Like, you, you're in shit so much that it, you just get numb to it. But in, in Rhapsody, there's a scene kind of early in the game where you have to infiltrate the castle via climbing up a sewer, and you end up in a bathroom. And there's a scene where Kururu says, something smells weird, Cornette. Did you dot, 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 question mark? And Cornette just goes, ew, no. And that's the joke. That's the difference between rooms and rooms full of and a, hey, did you cut one, you know, yeah. kind of joke. <laughs> And it's just like kind of cute and funny. And then they move on with their life into another funny cutscene. So right. I really thought that that was where the humor for me kind of lands and is funny. So yeah, moving on from that, I think we should just kind of take the story to its conclusion. We got a couple more comments from the community. So what happens in the story is 
you have to gather all these stones to have enough magical power to break the spell i think it's it's kind of like a final fantasy game you know like yeah get the crystals by going through dungeons beating the bosses that we talked about previously the the, you know marjorie's minions so then finally you're able to confront marjorie and fight her but before you can free the prince from his spell you have to fight galonzo who is actually part of the royal entendre, let's say, but he was actually double-crossing the royal family by teaming up with Marjorie, and he had this kind of plot to create these sentinels to kind of take over everything, and that's what you have to fight at the end of the game. So yeah, after that, you free the prince, but the major plot twist that I keep alluding to and, and haven't really exposed yet is that you are told throughout the game that Cornette is an orphan and that both of her parents are dead but it turns out that the soul of Cornette's mother is actually Karuru like Karuru is Cornette's mother Uh, her soul cannot be set free until Cornette finds true happiness that's the major plot twist and it's told Honestly, through this kind of beautiful scene where Cornette visits via a dream her mother's memory, which is of her. And unfortunately, it ends with how she died, but it was kind of neat and dreamy to see. Cornette meets herself as a child, gets to see her mother, and Etoile is there. That was all just kind of a nice sequence. But then also at the end where Kururu is released, you know, like Cornette has finally released the prince and finds happiness and uh cornet can finally go to heaven let's say at the end cornet and prince ferdinand get married so that's the end of the game what did you think of the end of the story rich and did the reveal have any kind of emotional impact on you or was it too cheesy or were you getting a little choked up or because i gotta admit the first time i played the game it you know, I wasn't like sobbing, but I found it to be very touching. Yeah, no, I agree. It is a very touching moment, especially when you get to sort of travel back into time and meet yourself as a young kid and then see the reason that your mother actually died. And I think it's because she kind of jumps in front and saves you. You kind of go back in time with this idea that maybe you can save her and make things right. But as fate has it, she dies anyway trying to save you. And when you find out toward the end of the game that she is actually bound to that puppet that follows you around, yeah, it it is a fairly emotional moment and, uh, you know, kind of a a really neat ending and twist to the game that I did think was special and I, uh, you know, really enjoyed. Well, that's very cool. So we actually have one more comment regarding the story from our good friend Pam, uh, where she said, I'm finding the game's pacing to be a bit odd. I've played for three and a half hours and the inciting incident just happened. And I believe that would be the Marjorie kidnapping the prince. She said, this wouldn't be odd in most JRPGs, but since this game is only supposed to be about 10 hours long, it seems like it took a long time to really kick off the adventure. I think she has a valid point, but on the other hand, I think it's fine. And I think if we asked her now, she would say the pacing ended up being fine. 
Okay, so maybe I'm projecting how I feel about the game onto her, <laughs> but I we should follow up with her on that cuz I I wonder how she felt uh finishing the game. I don't disagree with her, but I do feel that um getting to know Cornet and Karuru was worth the time in the beginning of the game if that makes sense. Did you feel like the game was dragging until Marjo Lee showed up or were you, were you cool with how things were flowing in the beginning? I mean, I thought it was fine because I felt like there was enough plot there. That's when you're doing the whole competition in the town and all that stuff's going on. So I feel like there was enough plot there to add an additional, as Pam calls it, inciting incident to the plot at that point. So I wasn't really bored at any time as far as what I was doing or, you know, expecting some huge event to come into play because I really didn't have any expectations with this game, you know, just kind of knowing like how cartoony and kind of fun it was. So yeah, it didn't bother me. I didn't really um, pay any attention to that. Or I guess I should say I really wasn't looking for any inciting incident as I was playing the game. Very good. So let's roll into our final thoughts and we'll start off with a few from the community and then we'll get into ours. Yeah, I kind of like doing it this way. I think you and I were texting back and forth and, uh, you know, a lot of times when we have people that are playing the game with us and they finish it, they throw up some final thoughts and their final comments on the game. And uh, I think we did this last week and it's kind of a nice addition. Yeah, I really like it. It was a great idea. So yeah, keep hitting us up on the forum. We're definitely going to try and get more commentary into the show here. So we, we really appreciate all the contribution. So Disposed Hero, Steven, says... It has a ton of charm and the humor is great as well. I enjoy the mechanics of the game well enough. I think I would have liked the combat to have a bit more depth. I even set the difficulty too hard since others were saying the game was incredibly easy on the normal setting and it's still been a cakewalk. Well, for Steven, most games are a cakewalk, <laughs> so I don't know I don't know how much value there is in that comment, but um, for him, this game must have been really easy because Steven plays very difficult games. He plays on the hard difficulties, you know, most of the time, as we mm-hmm. used to discuss on the show quite a bit. So, um, yeah, that's some good commentary from Steven. And then Pam chimed in with her final thoughts here. Pam said, I thought it was all right. I liked how the story was constantly subverting expectations around things like Cornette rescuing the prince or even small things like a twelve dual-wielding machine guns during one of the fights she joined <laughs> me for. I really liked the story of Cornette and Karuru. I thought that was well-developed. The prince and Marjorie plots, though? Ugh. I think the short run time, while a boon for me actually getting through the game, gave them limited time to develop the other characters. None of the villains ever served as more than comic relief in a game that's already 90% comic relief, and I can't help but roll my eyes at stories about true love that involve two characters who have only known each other for five minutes. (laughs) So, again, great commentary from Pam, and I totally agree with her on the 
half-baked love story between Cornette and the prince. But I will say, as an apologist for that structure, is that that is just kind of a vehicle for the adventure itself. And that's the means to the end of the characters going on this adventure and bonding with each other. And again, the story is not so much about Cornette falling in love with the prince. The story is about Cornette and her relationships with Kururu and Etoile and Etoile's relationships with her family and with Cornette. So I agree with Pam completely that it's kind of annoying, like, oh, yeah, you're really in love? Like, you danced together (laughs) once, so now you're going to get married? Okay. But yeah, I think that's, like, almost secondary to the adventure itself. Yeah, and I agree with both of you guys. I mean, I I feel like it is a little flimsy, but... Just to kind of bring this back up, you think about a Disney film. Let's think about Snow White, Sleeping Beauty. I mean, these are two films where they just have a chance meeting in a forest with a prince, just like this game. And then the prince is all like going to fight dragons and doing everything they can to uh, try to wake this princess. Same with The Little Mermaid, right? They just have sort of a chance encounter and it's that love at first sight kind of thing. And then it develops into... uh, a bigger story and it just sort of like you said acts as a vehicle so i think it's sort of in that same vein very true so i want to get into our final thoughts for you and i but i, I just want to talk about one last thing and it's something that pam touched on in her comment so it's i think it's a perfect time to discuss it briefly is the subverting of expectations and the most obvious one is the standard trope of the damsel in distress a.k.a. rescuing the princess. There is just a straight gender reversal in this game where Cornette has to rescue the prince. In addition to that, the majority of the characters in this game are female, which, for whatever it's worth, that's what it is. And I tend to prefer that kind of stuff in video games, and it's not for political reasons. It's just what I like. So I don't really know what to say about that, except that It does really kind of set itself apart in that way from a lot of games at the time and and a lot of games in general, even though it's becoming more prevalent to have powerful female characters in games, it really is the reversal of the traditional story. So if you're looking for something like that, this game definitely has kind of a feminine angle to it. Like it's very cute and cuddly, as we've said before. But again, it's just a quality time. It's a great story and it's worth playing. Don't let it put you off like it's too girly or something like, you know, it's not like that. But it is a subversion of traditional story tropes. So what does the English major think of that? I agree with you. This isn't a game that should be off-putting just because of the type of story it is. And I'll admit, when you said that you wanted to play this game or you kind of brought this game up, when I did a little bit of research into what this game was going to be like, I was a little skeptical. I'll be honest. I mean, of the two of us, you're the big anime fan. I'm not. I don't watch a lot of that stuff. I'm not into the cutesy, cuddly, feely type games. And so, yeah, for me, there was a bit of concern going into it. But I got to admit, I had a lot of fun with this game. I think it's a well-done RPG uh, I think I mentioned before, I would call it something like an RPG light. I like the integration of the sort of tactical gameplay element, though it's done on a much, much smaller scale. 
I do wish that there were more monster encounters in the game. I think those sort of beef up a little bit as you get toward the later levels and kind of going through some of the castles and catacombs. But I always felt like my characters were super, super over-leveled in this game because my style of play is if I run into it, I'm killing it. I'm not going to run away. I know a lot of people can just run away, but for me, I just would prefer not to have to grind. I would prefer just to kind of go straight through the game and grind as I go. So I think this game did a really nice job of that. However, uh, one thing I do want to mention before we kind of close it out is the difficulty spike in this game. I felt like the game was really, really easy going all the way through, but I actually died one time in this game, and that was at the final boss fight. The reason is it's a, it's a transitional fight, so you fight two battles in a row, and you're not able to heal in between battles. In that second battle, it starts off where there's a very powerful spell that's used by the giant kind of mechanical robot that you fight. And that basically wiped my entire party out because everyone wasn't healed enough from the previous fight. And I didn't expect that, did not see it coming. Luckily, I had saved right outside the door, but I did have to do a few of those final fights over again because of that. To me, that's a little off-putting, like it's not consistent with what the game purports to be as you're playing through the whole thing. And so getting to the end and having that difficulty and actually dying, I was kind of like, what? How did this happen? You know, I felt like my character was way leveled up. And I think that Pam even mentioned in some of the comment section that she had to like go back through that final dungeon and actually do a few random encounters to level up. So... I kind of think that's a bit of a shame that, uh, you know, that was input into this game. However, I, I will say that I think this game is a fantastic game to get a young person like, you know, like my kids started on an RPG. Like, especially if you have the combat with just the circle button, I think that kind of simplifies it so that they can really get into it and have a good time with it. And even someone that's very new to the RPG genre, I would suggest that uh, this would be a good title to let them cut their teeth on. I enjoyed it. I appreciate you recommending it, Sean, and happy it made it to our 50th episode. That's awesome, Rich. I appreciate the sentiment, and I'm so glad that we got to play this game, uh, and it was really cool to discuss it at length with you because... You know, the first time I played it, I just played it and loved it. And I'm sure I was grumbling about the dungeons, but um, <laughs> this... We all were. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, this became one of my favorite games pretty much as soon as I started playing it. And um, I really cherish it. And I'm, I'm really grateful, as usual, for the community for joining us. And I hope people will share this game. And if you're listening to this show, give the game a shot. So let's roll into our next couple of games. Rich, you're going to take care of June. Why don't you let us know what we're playing? Yeah, well, you should already be playing it with this, right? It's Beyond Two Souls for um, PS3 and also available on PS4. This is a Quantic Dreams classic. As we said last episode, we're really excited about the release of Detroit Become Human. And so, once again, another Quantic Dreams game to kind of round out and kind of cleanse our palate from an RPG adventure. So, yeah, 
I've already started playing it. Sean, I know you've played it before. I'm having a lot of fun with it. The story is fantastic, and I really can't wait to put some more time into this and finish it off. Very cool. And for July, we're going to take a look at the 2016 reboot of Doom, which is available on pretty much everything right now. Even came out on the Switch, if you want to play it on that. So... The one thing, Rich, real quick, I'm curious why you agreed to this, because you don't like first-person shooters. This one just really stand out to you as something you're willing to try? Well, it's gotten really, really solid reviews, and I was a fan of Doom and Castle Wolfenstein when I was a kid, so I'm curious to see what this reboot's like. It looks pretty cool, really violent, has some really neat sort of finishing moves that I'm really interested to check out, and so... It just made so many of our site members' Game of the Year list the year it came out. And so I think that's what's kind of propelled me to actually play this game. I already have it in my collection. I've had it there for a while. So why not, man? Let's play it. up the show thank you for sticking with us for 50 episodes and for participating in all the playthroughs with us in june we'll go back to the well that is quantic dream with their 2013 effort beyond two souls available on the playstation 3 and playstation 4 be sure to log on to rfgeneration.com to sign up for the playthrough Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next month on the Playcast.
Things are cold open. <laughs> that's it. That's it. No, don't do that. Come on. You gotta show you some should, class. You should cut it up. It's like you should cut it up. You should cut up the cold open. It should be like I'm never getting invited to the collector cash. <laughs> 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 no, never man. will after that. <laughs> Let's do, do this that. as like a b- blooper reel or something. That can't open the show, man. We gotta have some dignity. Wait, oh. we have dignity. Oh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> New to me. <laughs> so then you fight Marjorie, but then you fight um, what's his name? Turd Burger. <laughs> I already have it in my collection. I've had it there for a while, so why not, man? Let's play it. Awesome. So in July, Doom. <laughs> that was stupid. You don't have to put that in. <laughs> I don't know why the f- I felt compelled to keep talking. We're done. Doom. That's when July, Doom. Ends. <laughs> The call got f***ing cut off again. What you gonna do when you record your show on a 10-year-old laptop? Ah, fresh meat.